with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, verse 40, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone believes in him, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your, your goodness, your love for us. Thank you that you, you come to us, you teach us, you, you come in the midst of, of, of anything that we're um, burdened with, and, and you give us joy. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would give us, in this moment, ears to hear and eyes to see what you would have us say by the power of the Holy Spirit, that anything that I would say that wouldn't be of you would, would go by the wayside. Pray that you would, you would awaken our hearts to receive your word. Um, thank you for your goodness, Lord. We trust you. Um, you make good on your promises always. And you give us um, amazing story, uh, narrative to, to remind us of, of your goodness. And I pray that that would do that now as we read through uh, the book of Acts. Uh, pray these things in, in Jesus Christ's matchless name. Amen. Um, something unique that I'd like to do before uh, I get into the message. I didn't really ask for this for permission, but we've been going through uh, the book of Acts for quite a while, and, and a, a verse that's been on my heart is in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, and it's uh, that they overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the words of their testimony. And then it says, and they loved not their lives even unto death. And I think that uh, we have a unique service on, in the summertime. We kind of shrink down and, and two services come to one. So we have kind of a, a family feel. And I know there's people, there's saints, you guys, the church, that, that the Lord is working through and in. So I was curious. I mean, this, this scripture has been, uh, this sermon has been aptly named, um, it's actually made, um, I think there's a word missing on there, but that's okay. I think the original scripture was transformed by the Holy Spirit, made whole by the Holy Spirit. But Brian named the sermon um, Acts of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is alive and moving in us, when traditionally it's called Acts of the Apostles, and indeed the apostles were the ones that were, were doing the work, but um, especially as, as Gunther had mentioned that there's a lot of, of just 
terrible news out there, not only in our nation but in others. And, and sometimes we can maybe be isolated and not realize how much the Lord is doing in, in the midst of us. Maybe the person to your left or your right is, is struggling and maybe you're the one that is experiencing a, a mountaintop experience. Um, and, and just the words of testimony that help us overcome the enemy are, are huge. Preaching is, is very important, like I'm doing now. I mean, we come and hear the, the words, and, and God moves, and we're transformed in our seats. But we also get to preach to ourselves on a daily basis, and we get to preach to those around us. And, and we get to preach in, in other scenarios, like if we're doing a small group and whatnot. But um, uh, I just thought I'd, I'd ask if anybody, and you can raise your hand, and, we'll, and I'll welcome you up. Maybe just a, a quick 30 second to a minute. If someone in particular maybe has a, an an encouraging word or, or something from Acts that they've um, been, been blessed by and uh, just a story of, of what God has done in their life. It doesn't have to be anything big, but um, I thought I'd just let that give an invitation now and, and soak in that awkwardness. Um, <laughs> that, way, that way, too, I know if it's time for me to preach, I'll preach, but um, it doesn't have to be anything, anything big. Um, the Bible says in, in 1 Peter that that we are a holy nation, we are his chosen people, we are set apart to, to speak about the amazing light that we're called into out of darkness. And uh, it's kind of a cold opener, I know, but um, I don't know if anybody in particular, I just thought I'd offer it now that we're a small group here, and I can, you can raise your hand, and I can even maybe give the mic to you, or you can come up, but if there's anything in your mind that is like, wow, the Lord has really brought me through this, and maybe through teaching in the book of Acts, or, or otherwise... Um, any takers? All right. Oh, Vicky. All right. Good. Do you want me to give you the mic, or are you want to yell, or? All right. Um, should we give her a mic? Yeah. Should we have her come up? Let's clap for her. Let's give her a warm welcome. Oh, she's coming on up. Thanks, Greg. All right. This is Gunther, our, our great announcer and welcomer's wife, Vicki. Well, this doesn't make it easier for people, does it? When you're, anyway. Come all the way up. <laughs> Come into the light. Really? Yeah. Um, I could cry, so just want mm-hmm. you to know this one touches me pretty deeply. Um, I'm a mother and a grandmother, and um, I have a terminal case of motherhood for those that you know me. Um, and, you know, the events of the day, I've been a believer since I was a teenager, and God's never failed me. He's always been faithful. He's never given me cause to not believe his word or not to trust him. He's always delivered me, always. And yet, I'm, I'm flawed, I'm human, and I fear. And in the events of the world and what's happening in the world and in our nation, um, I found myself... battling fear more than I ever have. Mm. Not to the point where I don't want to leave the house, but just this constant theme. And, you know, the events of this last week have just really hit me home. Initially, when we heard the word about the coup in Turkey, I don't know why I thought Bree Stupart was in Turkey, and it just made me sick. She wasn't, thank God. Mm. Um, But... um, This weekend, I was blessed to um, go to a women's conference in Ontario with Beth Moore. And those of you who know her, I have a lot of respect for her as a a woman of God and as a teacher. And 
just the theme over the weekend was um, how we are covered by God. Mm. And that just really struck me. You know, you can read the verse, you can read the Bible a million times, and then one day you read something and it just, like an arrow, it just pierces you, your heart. Yeah. And that truth that I am covered by God mm. just really struck me. And the only reason I felt compelled to share that is because I know just in my normal course of conversation with people that I come in contact with, even believers, we're, we're concerned, you know, we're afraid. Mm-hmm. And we don't have any guarantees. I don't have any guarantees that I'm going to live to be in old age. I don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't know what today brings. Mm-hmm. But it just encourages me, not just for myself. I don't fear for my own life as much as I do for those of my children and my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just encouraged. And so maybe that encourage you, encourages you to remember that we are covered by God Whatever that means. And the promise of eternity is huge. And he promised never to leave me. And he promised to always equip me no matter what life brings. And so I just leave that with you. And if that's something that resonates with you, you know, if you're afraid or that's an issue that you struggle with from time to time, regardless of what the issue is that causes you fear, whether it's the world's situation, whether it's you know, something that's happening in your marriage or lack of finances or you could lose your job or your health or whatever that is, we're covered by God and he's faithful. Amen. Scripture that comes to mind is... Yeah, thank you, Vicki. That's phenomenal. Scripture that comes to mind for me is Romans uh, 8.15. For you did not receive the spirit of adoption as sons... uh, Sorry, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you receive the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. That's good. Thank you, Vicky. Appreciate that. Um, what I'll do um, is read through the, the scripture once more and giving, giving some comments and, and maybe to get our wits about us a little bit, a little bit of background on um, what's happening in this story in case maybe you've missed uh, a week or two. Uh, and then I'll make four major points that I think the Lord has, has given us, uh, has given me to teach, and then maybe some points of application. Does that sound good? All right, great. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Um, chapter 10 and 11 are really one unit, and it's, it's in a, a phenomenal part of Scripture, and it's actually how we got here today. As, I mean, how does the gospel get from Israel, the Near East, to to us, to hear. And this is the story. Acts is a, an amazing, the book as itself is an amazing connector book. It's like, how do you get from the Gospels and Jesus and the disciples to some guy named Paul? And he's writing this, this whole New Testament. Um, it's a phenomenal narrative. And it's, it's, it's impetus or push or its drive is from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and that the Holy Spirit will fall upon you in power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Um, Acts is, a, I think, in, in a lot of ways, a very difficult book to preach through because its narrative and its story, and some of it is prescriptive and some of it's descriptive. Not all of it is made to, to be read and say that's what we're supposed to do, but some of it is, and not all of it is meant to just be a description. Um, it's meant to be, to be um, directive, and, and so that's where... We need the Lord and the Holy Spirit to, to give us wisdom and insight and, and hopefully a, some, some sound preaching, which is a heavy call, so you could be praying for me as I'm even preaching. Um, 
But then there's principles that God gives us here, and, and hopefully I'll draw out four of them for us as, as, we're, as we're reading this scripture. Um, it's a phenomenal book. It's, it's a book of when our history of when Christianity was at its mo- most, most impactful, most potent. I mean, people were getting saved by the thousands. Um, the Holy Spirit fell in a way like never before. Um, Peter was preaching, and, and 3,000 here, 5,000 there. The, the, the scripture was going from, the gospel was going from Jerusalem to Rome, and at that point, that meant it was going from, from the religious center to the secular center, basically. And, and this is how it got there, and this is how it happened in, in this story. And, and in particular, this section of scripture, which is actually the theme scripture for the uh, family camp as well, uh, verse 43, um, is is some of the, I think, it's amazing just how God is, is timeless and, and, and never irrelevant. He makes us relevant. And, and in the midst of the obvious racial narrative that's going on in this country, I mean, this, there's no better scripture that speaks to um, all-inclusiveness, unity, equality than, than this, I think. Um, it's the most... Um, anti-racist scripture uh, we, can, we could be reading, which is pretty amazing. So Peter, verse 34, opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. So Peter's just preaching now. This is like his fourth message that he's teaching since Jesus Christ ascended and the Holy Spirit fell. And he realizes God shows no favoritism. And that word also has, partiality has Implications in the Old Testament that speaks of, of bribery. God doesn't care about your status or how much money you have or don't have. He sees everyone as, as on an equal playing field. Everyone needs him. There's no partiality, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're clean or unclean. In, in the weeks earlier, Peter had to, had to see three different occasions of visions where God said, what I call clean, do not call unclean. And Peter kept saying no. And so... Um, it's a story of double vision, really, where Cornelius sees a vision, who's the, the Roman or, or the Italian military leader, a non-Jew, and, and at the same time, or very close after, Peter sees a vision, and it's, it's linked up. Um, and it's a story of double conversion, really. A lot of times we think of this book as Cornelius' conversion to faith, which it is, but it's also Peter's conversion to faith, in a different kind of a way. He's already had the Holy Spirit fall on him, but he's being converted from glory to glory. He's being converted out of his latent racism, really, to see that the, the gospel's for all. And so God shows no partiality. Verse 35, But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. The emphasis is on anyone, not on doing right or, um, or fearing him. That's important, but it's, it's, he's saying it's for all. And he's kind of preaching to himself, I think. I think at the beginning he's saying, truly I understand. Like he's in awe himself a little bit. Um, because when he first goes to Cornelius' house, it's almost like a smug entrance that he gives. He's like, I usually don't do this kind of thing. I'm usually not going to be in, in the midst of unclean people like you. But since I saw a vision and you saw a vision and you sent your people and I'm here, what do you want me to say to you? And that's like the most um, like obvious question like, after all this time, Peter's like, why, why, what do you want me to say to you? After God has lived with, Jesus has been with him for three years and sent him on mission, he's like, what would you have me say? And then, of course, Cornelius tells him that they're ready to hear, hear the gospel. So in this message that Peter's speaking, I don't know if anybody has ever had a more ripe audience to hear the gospel. 
I mean, think about this. Cornelius, this Roman, um, or this Italian military leader, had his, all of his family, all of his friends come four days really prior to even knowing if Peter was going to come. That's like, that's like as, as thirsty as it gets to hear something from the, God, from, from the Lord and, and show some serious faith also from Cornelius' part before he was even saved um, and converted. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. It's parenthetical in a lot of verses, but in a lot of Bibles, but that's the emphasis is God is Lord of all, not just the clean or the unclean. Um, Everyone has to come to Christ. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. And the reason they know is because proximity geographically, um, Cornelius and his men would have been pretty close to where everything was going down, where Jesus was, as someone would say later in the book of Acts, turning the world upside down, where he was doing all his miracles, where, where there was this, this rumor that someone went into a tomb and then all of a sudden his body was gone. They, they heard the, the rumblings of the Messiah. 38. Um, uh, actually, verse 37, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. That verse there is a phenomenal just depiction into the Trinity. Um, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons in one God. You see God the Father in verse 38, anointing Jesus, God the Son, with the Holy Spirit, God the Father, moving forward with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And that's all that Peter does. He just recounts and, and reiterates um, what what, just what he's seen, life, death, and resurrection. He lived a perfect life. He died, and then he rose again. And while Peter's still, still preaching, and he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So Jesus is not only Savior, but he's Lord. He's Savior, but he's judge. He's, and that's what we're saved from, that, that day that he comes back. And it won't be a terrible day if we're, if we're with him, if we believe in him, because he's saved us. Um, but it's very clear. He's the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead of all. He's the only way, the way, the truth, and the life. Verse 43. Um, to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in, his, in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone receives forgiveness of sins. And then before Peter can even get to the Holy Spirit's work, the Holy Spirit just says, kind of get out of the way, let me do the work now. And, and that's what we see here in the rest of verse 44 through 48. And, and if that seems like a short verse or, or a short message, a lot of commentators say that that wasn't actually Peter's entire message. It was more Luke, the physician, giving, giving the main points. Because uh, that's a pretty short message. And then otherwise we would all be able to go home now. Um, verse 44. 
while Peter was still saying these things, while he was still saying the words of the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers were among the circumcised who had come with Peter, were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. This was the marks that Peter saw of transformation by the Holy Spirit. How did he know? It's because they were speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Baptism, as we know, isn't what saves us. Rather, it's an an identifying mark for the saints to, to publicly proclaim their union with, with God in, in a very real um, action taken of life, death, and resurrection going under and coming up new in life out of the water of baptism. And so he says, let's baptize them. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. And that's actually also a pretty stunning sentence there. They, they asked him to remain for some days because Peter wouldn't even be in their presence even come into their home, really, and now he's staying there for days. So it's showing that he's he's starting to to um, kind of be rid of of all his previous. Um, I mean, his whole life was was um, following these customs, these Jewish customs of of separating himself from people and not entering in people's house and not eating certain food. And now he's he's living with them here for a couple days, and of course they're going to have to eat. So he's going to eat the food that they eat. And that doesn't mean Peter's work was done in his life. We see later in Galatians that Paul has to confront Peter about this once more because Peter would act like a Jew to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. He would act like a Gentile. and um, It still takes time for him, but the point is that God does a, an amazing thing here like never before done. He goes directly to the, to the Gentiles. Um, so I'll call out a few points here, and I think it might be on a little bit too wide of a screen Let's see, can you go to point one, Nick? Oh, so that's the two, two different sections. Um, but point one that I'll, I'll look to call out is that God comes to us first. God is the one that initiates. Um, like I said before, we see a lot of conversions in the book of Acts, and and I think it's important to call out the principles. The principle isn't that you see a vision, and if you, in order to get saved, you have to see a vision. It's, no, it's that God comes into our lives. Um, in, in the book of uh, John, um, actually, it's in the book of Matthew, chapter 18, Jesus says, and I'll use King James Version on purpose, except ye be converted, you will not see the kingdom of God. Unless you're converted you will not see the kingdom of God. And that word converted is kind of a loaded word. Um, and he also says it again in, in John chapter 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus, and he says, unless you're born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. You will not enter the kingdom of God. Um, unless you start over, unless, unless you're born again, um, you will not see the kingdom of God, unless you're converted. Uh, but that word converted or being born again is, is on the one hand absolutely radical transformation. You're never the same when you see Jesus as he truly is. Your life has changed. Your motivations are different. Um, you're turned 
in a different way. And that's actually the literal word of conversion is to turn and go a different way unless you're turned. And, and that's repentance, literally, the military term, to about face, to turn a different way. And so you are radically changed and your life is never the same. You're made new in Christ. But on the other hand, conversion doesn't mean you're, you're replaced. You don't replace your personality and your, your temperament and your culture even. It's more a refacing. Your motivations are changed. The reason you do things now change when you're converted and made a Christian. Um, and we see these conversions happen all throughout the Bible. In chapter 8, we saw the Ethiopian eunuch converted. Uh, talking with Philip in chapter 9, we see Saul, the great religio like leader and, and um, uh, great Jew, Jewish leader, get converted. And then now we see, um, we see Cornelius getting converted. And the thing that we see in each one is God's the one that does the initiating. God's the one that goes after these people. Um, earlier, which we didn't read in chapter 10, Peter asked Cornelius, why did you send me? And Cornelius basically says, because God sent me first. And even Peter, how did he even get to be next to Cornelius? It's because God sent him first. He had to give him multiple visions and come to him. Um, it's God doing the initiating. There's a uh, kind of a famous hymn that speaks to this perfectly. Um, there's a hymn writer from uh, an abolitionist from 1836 named Josiah Condor. And I just wanted to read it and let it kind of sink in a little bit on on this reality that God comes to us first. Yeah, we take hold of him, but in every testimony, there's always a moment where the whole time we thought we were chasing God down, but he was chasing us down. I know for me, when I became a Christian at Cal Poly, this is actually my 10-year anniversary of being a Christian, which is pretty cool. Um, Thank you. But I did not go to Cal Poly chasing God down and wondering, like, am I going to be a better Christian or a a Christian when I go to Cal Poly? God did all those things. He put all the people in place. And in the moment, I thought I was the one going to church and, and answering questions and, and trying to convince myself. And that moment when I actually said, Lord, take my life, it's yours. I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, I thought it was me making the decision, but in reality, it was salvation by grace through faith. God gave the grace. And we see that in, in um, this hymn here. It's kind of some old language. Um, Tis not that I did choose thee for Lord that could not be. This heart would still refuse thee, hadst thou not chosen me. Thou from the sin that stained me hast cleansed me and set me free. Of old thou hast ordained me that I should live to thee. To a sovereign mercy's call to me and taught my opening mind. The world all else, the world had all else enthralled me to heavenly glories blind. My heart owns none before thee for thy Rich grace, I thirst. And then this last line. This knowing, if I love thee, thou must have loved me first. God, God must have come to me first. And that's good news. Um, C.S. Lewis also speaks about this in his autobiography. And, and he says, in only the way that he can, amiable agnostics will talk cheerfully about man's search for God. But to me, as I then was, they might as well have talked about the mouse's search for the cat. The mouse doesn't search for the cat. It's the other way around. Um, and, and it's good news because I think oftentimes we maybe give ourselves too much credit. Am I, am I sure I'm going to find God? Am I sure God is in my life? Am I sure that, that God is for me? And I think that if we're even thinking that, God is already on the move. God is already acting in your life. Um, another way to put it is 
uh, a sense of God's absence is a sign that you've experienced his presence. And, and so even maybe if we're a Christian and we're praying for someone else to be a Christian and we're just like, why don't they just become saved and converted? And we try to do the work, only God can do the work and, and we can take solace and trust that, that we maybe give ourselves too much credit. God's already on the move. God initiates. God is sovereign. And that's good news. Um, the next uh, point here of, of principles is we see that God and the gospel pushes against mere morality. If you look at Cornelius' life, he was a good man. He, he, he was doing good things. If you read in chapter 10, verse 2 here, he was a devout man who feared God, meaning he was not Jewish, but he still something about the, the, the Israelite God was compelling to him. So he was, he was kind of a, a searcher, but, but he would keep those rules uh, of what the Jews would, even though he wasn't actually uh, maybe professing to be Jewish. And, and all his household gave alms generously to the people. He was, he was giving. He was a, a respectful man. He was someone that um, no doubt demanded respect as a, as a military leader, but at the same time, he was humble. Um, he gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. He prayed a lot. But notice that when the angel, doesn't come, when the angel comes to him, the angel doesn't say, Cornelius, you've done such a great job. We just want to tell you, keep up the good work a little bit more, and you're into heaven. No, the, the, the angel actually says, you need to be converted. You need to be saved. You need to hear the gospel. You need to be completely changed. And so we see that, that the gospel and the truth of, of the Bible comes against just mere morality. Because when we hear that word conversion and being born again, I know I did growing up. I associated that with people that maybe were murderers or on death row or really needed the Lord to save them, but I was a good person. And I don't really need to be born again because I'm good. I do the right things. I'm a good person. And, and, and in reality, that doesn't matter. Um, it's Christ that changes us. And we need to hear those words of the gospel. Uh, we see here in, in Cornelius' story, it didn't matter. It actually, he was saved in spite of his good works, not because of them. And then you also see the same in John chapter 3, that famous chapter, John three sixteen. But before that... Um, Nicodemus has a very similar quality of life to Cornelius. He was a good man. He did the right things. He comes to Jesus in the night, and he asks him, uh, and, he, and he has a conversation with him, and, and Jesus says, what does he say? He says, you've got to be born again. All of your good deeds are, are, I mean, for not. In the Old Testament, it speaks to good deeds as being like dirty rags in God's eyes. Um, pushes against, against morality. I've been reading through um, the book uh, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, and, and it's a parable. It's a fictional story about the afterlife. It's not C.S. Lewis's theology on the afterlife, but it's about basically a bus of ghosts that are from hell that are going to the outskirts of heaven to meet the bright people, and the bright people are, are trying to get them into heaven. And um, so you have the ghosts that are from hell and the bright people that are you know, in heaven, and the ghost says, Look at me now, said the ghost, slapping his chest. But the slap made no noise. I'd gone straight all my life. I don't say I was a religious man. I don't say I had no faults. Far from it. But I'd done my best all my life, see? I'd done my best by everyone. That's the sort of chap I was. I never asked for anything that wasn't mine by rights. If I wanted a drink, I paid for it. And if I took my wages, I'd done my job, see? That's the sort I was. I don't care who knows it. 
And then the, the bright man says, it would be much better not to go on about that now. And the ghost says, what's going on? I'm not arguing. I'm just telling you the sort of chap I was. See, I'm asking for nothing but my rights. And the bright man says, oh, no, it's not so bad as that. I haven't got my rights or I should not be here. You will not get yours either. You'll get something far better. Never fear. And the ghost says, that's just what I say. I haven't got my rights. I always done my best. And I never done, I never done nothing wrong. And, I, and what I don't see is why I should be put below a bloody murderer like you. And the bright man says, who knows whether you will be? Only be happy and come with me. And, and the ghost says, what do you keep on arguing for? I'm only telling you the sort of chap I am. I only want my rights. I'm not asking for anybody's bleeding charity. And the bright man says, then do at once. Ask for the bleeding charity. Everything is here for the asking. Nothing can be bought. And the ghost says, that may be very well for you, I dare say. If they choose to let in a bloody murderer all because he makes a poor mouth at the last moment, that's their lookout. But I don't see myself going in the same boat with you, see? Why should I? I don't want charity. I'm a decent man. And if I had my rights, I'd have been here long ago. You can tell them I said so. That's what I'll do, he repeated. I'll go home. I didn't come here to be treated like a dog. I'll go home. That's what I'll do. Damn the blast, the whole pack of you. In the end, still grumbling but whimpering, also a little as it picked its way over the sharp grass. It made off. He just wants his rights. I don't want to ask for the bleeding charity. Ask for the bleeding charity. Ask for Christ. Um, as we're wrapping up here, number three, uh, another uh, consistent principle is that the Holy Spirit transforms the heart. There comes a point where, where, Jesus, where Peter's preaching and the Holy Spirit just comes and does the transformation. And we know they're transformed because um, they're praising God and they're speaking in tongues. And, and the praising God is, is the transformation that the Spirit gives to, to our minds. And the, 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 the speaking in tongues is the transformation that the Spirit gives to our relationships, to our, our, our society, sociological change. And the praise is, is to our mind because the problem that man has, the Bible says, is that... Uh, we put ourselves in the place of God. And that's kind of common sense, really. I think if you ask people, just apart from the Bible, is the problem that people are self-centered and they put themselves in the place of God, they'd probably say, yeah. And, and that's what the praising of God is being done by these people. They're saying that God is now our, our deepest value. He's giving us our... God, God is turning us to see him as truly in his place, which is highest, um, and I'll, I'll start to wrap up here a little bit as we're being pressed on time. But then the tongues, the tongues is something that is often, um, I know for me when I read scripture, I always wonder, okay, what's the pastor going to say about tongues? Because there's a lot to, that can be said about that. But in this scripture, a little bit later in, in chapter, yeah, come on up, uh, worship team can come up. Um, Peter says that they received the Holy Spirit, just as we had at the beginning. And what he's saying is they, had, they have their own Pentecost just as we had Pentecost. And in chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, they were speaking in tongues and proclaiming God's praises in different languages. Every language had their own sermon, essentially. And that was God's way of saying it doesn't come by one culture or by one group of people. It comes to all people. There is no one special group. It's for all people. And then the, the Gentiles have their own Pentecost where they're praising God in their own language. 
The gospel is not um, centripetal. It doesn't center in on Israel. And, and if you don't speak Aramaic, then you're not a part of the real chosen people. It's centrifugal. It goes out into different cultures and takes on that culture. And that's our job as Christians is to, um, to, to, to apply it to, to our culture now in our lives. And then lastly, the gospel uh, and conversion comes through the words of the gospel. Um, notice when the Holy Spirit falls, it's when, it's when Peter's preaching. Because the angel could have done that, right? If the, if the Holy Spirit is some abstract force, when the angel came to Cornelius, he could have said, abracadabra, you're saved, or something like that. I don't know. He could have given him the, the, the force of, of being saved. But the angel couldn't do it. It had to come through through words of the gospel, through hearing the life, death, and resurrection. He tells them, Jesus lived the perfect life for you. He died the death in your place, and he rose, and we ate with him, proving that the death was for you. He rose from the dead. He was resurrected. Um, And that's what changes us. That's what makes Christianity altogether different. We're changed when we're in our seats, when we hear that message. It's not take these teachings and go change yourself by willpower, because it pushes against rules and, and being good or bad. It's it's whether or not you know Christ. There's another part in, um, in the Gospels where, I think it's in the, in the book of Luke, where Jesus and his disciples are moving through Samaria, and the Samarians are really just nasty towards them. They don't receive them. They kick them out. And, and, and then the disciples ask Jesus, should we cast fire down on them? And Jesus rebukes them and says no. But the reason they ask that is because in the Old Testament, Elijah the prophet cast fire down on the soldiers that came for him um, out of judgment. God judged, God's judgment came down, and fire fell upon the soldiers that were coming to Elijah. And he was a prophet. So if Jesus is a prophet, and greater than a prophet even, then wouldn't he be able to cast fire down as well? But Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 12, um, let's see if I can turn there in time, he, he gives kind of a, a Semitic parallelism and um, speaks to, to the fire falling in a way that the Gentiles or the, uh, his disciples didn't think or didn't know what he was talking about, really. He said, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that already be kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it already and would that it were already kindled, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how greatly is my distress until it is accomplished. What was the baptism that he had to be baptized with? It was the baptism of, baptism of fire of God's judgment. When the soldiers came for Elijah, God's fire came down on the soldiers. When the soldiers came for Jesus, the, the fire didn't come down on the soldiers. Why? Because it came down on Christ for us. That's what changes us. It's that, that message. It cuts us to the heart. It's... it's it's not being a better person. It's believing in, in the gospel. It's seeing that, that God died for us and, and the way to be experiencing more of God's love and more of God's goodness is to believe more of the gospel. It's to, to see that that suffering that Jesus put on the cross was for me. Um, I put him there. That's what, uh, and we could stand as, as, we, as we head out and um, pray and, and the worship team can go. That's what Peter, that's what the gospel said in, in, the Acts, in Acts chapter 2, when Pentecost came, it said the believers were cut to the heart when, Jesus, when, when Peter told them that they crucified Jesus. Even though they did not crucify Jesus, they weren't really there. But when we see us as ourselves, as our sin, putting him on the cross, that changes us because he put himself there for us.
He absorbed the wrath. I'll just go ahead and, and close us with a, a bit of a benediction or, or an encouragement, and you can receive it. Um, but it's from Romans uh, 8. And it's that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set us free. The spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. For God did what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. I know there's, there's, uh, there's people here that need prayer and uh, maybe, maybe as we close... I'll go and pray for you. And, and as a, an act of unity, you can put a, a hand on someone's shoulder and, and maybe just, if that, you can ask them if that's okay. But just praying for each other. Um, and I want to pray for you as well as we're singing and coming to the table for communion. We have people that will pray for you at the cross. And, and maybe even now, maybe you're experiencing a, a bit of a burden and, and you can't even hear the good news because you're just experiencing your own heavy decision you have to make. And if that's the case... I want to pray for you. You can just raise your hand where you're at. And if you need prayer, I'll just pray for you. And, and maybe someone around you can come, come around you and, and lay hand as well and pray for you. But um, at a, in a room this big, there's, of course, not everyone that is experiencing maybe mountaintop moments, but, but more of a, a need for prayer. And so if that's you, you can go and raise your hand and, and we'll pray for you. Otherwise, I'll pray for everyone. And we can take communion and, and respond with, with song. Um, Lord, Father God, we love you. We thank you for your, your gospel, for your word. Um, thank you that you allow us to come to the table, to be made right with you through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Thank you that if we've already been converted and experienced that conversion moment, that we still have, there's still more to do to be thoroughly converted like Peter, away from our, our proclivities to be skeptical or, or to, to marginalize people. And if we haven't received you for the first time, Lord, would that be the case um, as we pray and as we worship? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.